This is Up for Debate Presents Shaken, Not Stirred, Six Decades of James Bond in Film. Tonight, episode number 143, recorded April 11th, 2019. Chapter 4, Roger Moore in For Your Octopussy Only to Kill a Moonraker. From the most exotic locations on Earth, Moonraker will transport you to another world. More excitement, more thrills, more spills. And guess who's dropped in for a bite? Jaws is back. From Earth to the most spectacular adventure in space, Moonraker. It's out of this world. It's Roger Moore as Ian Fleming's James Bond 007. Explosive. Exclusive. Well, I trust you, Alcon. For your amazement, this Bond is for you. This Bond is for your eyes only. This man has a secret ambition. I propose to end the domination of Silicon Valley. Project Main Strike. A secret plan. For which each of you will pay me $100 million. And a secret weapon. We're not sure about her. Name's Mayday. Someone will take care of you. Oh, you'll uh, see to that personally, will you? Roger Moore is James Bond 007 with Tanya Roberts, Grace Jones, and Christopher Walken. (laughs) Has James Bond finally met his match? Find out this summer in A View to a Kill. Title song performed by Duran Duran. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Up for Debate Presents, the show that dares to take a deeper look at the things you know and love. I am Sean Jennings, joined as always by uh, by the original M, Matt Mariani. I'll take that. I'll take that. The original M. And I'm uh, if you're M, I think I'm Money Penny. Okay, I didn't. I didn't oh, see it going James. there. James, definitely. I thought you were going to say Q, but okay. Money Penny's looking a little old in these movies. Oh boy, is she? Oh boy. That's, uh, yeah, that was a note I was going to touch on later, but but to be yeah, fair, she's, they're she's all looking, looking old. old. Yeah, no offense to her. I mean, you know, the human body ages. It's nothing that we can avoid or prevent. But I, I mean, I would have thought she would have hung up her spurs by now or something. I mean, it, it's 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 fine. Like she still does a good job. It's just like. I don't know. Roger Moore, look, he, by the end of the, these movies, too, we, we can't just be, uh, we can't be unfair here. Roger Moore's looking a little dated. Oh, God, time, yes. By the time we circle around to A View to a Kill, he's he's looking like he's he's kind of ripe. Well, uh, but I will say, Mac, quick question. Who do you think looked better at the end of their run, Sean Connery or Roger Moore? Um, Better? Yeah. I think I think Moore probably looked better. Yeah, I'm gonna agree. I think he looked better, but I think Connery still Connery was able to. No, no. I mean, by di- by diamonds, he he was looking old. Yeah, I, like I, I think Moore looked better. As unlikely as it was, I bought Roger Moore could still kick ass in a view to a kill. Uh, by the time we get to Diamonds Are Forever, by, uh, Connery's looking a little 
a little retirement age. Yes, yeah, the retirement age is good is a good way to put it. And he, yet he comes back for another one. Unbelievable! Oh my god, have you ever seen unsanct- that one? Uh, never say never. Yeah, I have. I saw the trailer for it. He looked a trillion years old. Yes, he he looked like every time I saw him on set. N- the, my first reaction was like, this must be a parody. And my second reaction was like, it's like the behind the scenes videos where you see like the director coming in. Cause he had, he had a lot of creative control over that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, that was the only reason he came back that, and he got a, he got like truckloads of money, but um, yeah, it's like the behind the scenes feature where you see the director going through each scene and like mapping it out. That was uh that was a weird one. Yeah. Well, Matt, tonight we have uh, four movies to get through. It's our second part of Roger Moore. If you didn't listen last week, go back. Chapter 3, Colbert Rabideau is here to talk about the first three Roger Moore movies. Tonight we've got the, the second half, his final four films, Moonraker, For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy, and A View to a Kill, Matt. Let's go ahead and dive into the first one, 1979's Moonraker. Roger Moore reprises his role for the fourth time and is directed by Lewis Gilbert. This is his third James Bond movie. He also did You Only Live Twice and the one previous to this, The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, this film released, uh, as I mentioned, in 1979 for a budget of $34 million. It made $210 million, which was actually the highest grossing uh, James Bond movie until 1995's GoldenEye. Yeah. Uh, this is James Bond in space. James Bond. It's James <laughs> Bond colon Star Wars. Yes. Um, which is funny because they they even admit that Star Wars, which came out in seventy seven, two years earlier, actually did influence the film because originally they were going to do Four Your Eyes Only first and ended right. up moving Moonraker up uh, because of the phenomenon of uh, space sci fi action movies. You see a lot of yeah. I wrote a lot of a lot of space influence. I wrote Star Wars, Lost in Space. A little bit of 2001, A Space Odyssey, especially when they get toward the end, when they show the space station and the like miniature models. Um, yeah, very heavily influenced by the new, highly trendy uh, sci-fi movement in film. Um, uh, this this one was uh, this one was a little different watching it now um, than what I remember. Okay, um, interesting. I guess when I was a kid, it was it was super cool to see Bond in space with all the lasers and and gadgets and stuff. But um, the the plot is very similar to a lot of previous Bond movies. I feel like we can probably just we can probably just get that out of the way now because it's a, it's a it's a theme that we're going to rehash for every just about every Bond movie we're going to talk about tonight. Is mm-hmm. that the plot, especially the the villain's plan, is going to be a rehash of of something we've seen before from a previous bond and whether you want to call that uh whether you want to call that laziness on the part of the writers or if you want to call that like a like a nod i think the nicer the 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 gentler like critically way to put it would be like it's a nod to the past i don't know well, what do you think what's I, your take on that i think it's a i think it's a format i think it's a template i think uh, you can very easily parallel it to the Marvel movies today. Name me five Marvel movie villains. Thanos. That's one. And he was mm-hmm. in like two of them. Two of them, three of them. Loki. Okay. Two. Uh, you also had uh, the Winter Soldier. 
Uh, well, I guess joins the Avengers at the end, but wasn't he a villain at one point? Okay, I'll give it to you. That's only three. What's the red helmet? Red helmet, red skull. Red skull. Okay, that's four. Yep. yep. And uh, I'm going to look like a jerk. if you... <laughs> The electric guy from Iron Man 2, Jeff Bridges. Uh, you're, that, you're absolutely wrong. Wrong. Ru- what do you mean? The character and the actor exist. The character, the actor did not play the character you're thinking of. And you also didn't oh, Jeff the- Bridges didn't. Pl- OK, well, all right. I, spoiler alert. I never saw Iron Man 2. I just knew they were both in that movie. Uh, all right. So what was your point with that exercise there? Uh, Jeff Bridges was in the first Iron Man movie. He played uh, Obadiah bad guy. Uh, you're thinking of um, it was um, the, the whiplash guy. Yeah, and it was the the, that old creepy actor. Uh, oh, um, the what, one who is uh, my bird. My bird. He said in the whole because he had a little <laughs> like bird. He said, "You bring me my bird." Who? Damn it! Who was that? This is gonna be my bird. <laughs> yeah, that. Oh, what a not great movie that was. I'm gonna feel really dumb when I look this up. Mickey Rourke. That's who Mickey it was. Rourke. I was yes. gonna say the wrestler. Yes, he was in the wrestler. Yep. My point is that. Mm-hmm. It's the Marvel movies are templated. Everyone is the same. They all do the same structure, and it doesn't okay. matter that the bad guys are forgettable or that they do the same things over and over. That's not the point. The point is the films are just enjoyable. I don't have a problem. Okay, with the fact I see. If they so, I'm gonna tell you something about Moonraker. I really like this film, like a lot. And wow, Drax is he the most original bad bad guy in the Bond universe? No, I still liked him. I still thought it was neat. But I agree with you. Not original. That's Sean, okay by me. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a spoiler here that might surprise you. <laughs> I actually wrote, and I can show you. I wrote in my notes. Sean probably likes this movie, <laughs> and in parentheses I wrote a lot. <laughs> I, I don't know why, but I, I guess while I was watching it, I was like, Sean's probably gonna say he likes this one, and we're probably gonna disagree about it. But oh, yeah, I didn't hate it. I definitely didn't hate it. I just thought it was a little. It was a little forgettable, and I think that the director made a little like made some questionable choices that we can definitely get into. Well, go ahead. Okay. Well, um, first of all, I have to say the villain looks a lot like Peter Dinklage. Yes, a taller Peter Dinklage. Yes, I I, I got a big Peter Dinklage vibe. I I generally liked him. He was a likable villain. Um, I especially I really like the speech he gives to his henchmen when they're in the base. Yes. He says something about like people will look to the heavens and they will find stability there or something like that. It was it was a very uh powerful speech that I and a very realistic one. I could see I could definitely Here. see someone like um uh uh Elon Musk or somebody like that giving that giving that speech uh in like 10 years time. Yeah, here here's here's a little piece of that. He built space station. First there was a dream, now there is reality. Here in the untainted cradle of the heavens will be created a new super race, a race of perfect physical specimens. You have been selected as it's, uh, like gods, your offspring will return to the earth and shape it in their image. Yeah. From their first day on earth, they will be able to look up and know there is law and order in the heavens. It's, yes, exactly. It was great. I I just, I just quoted the tail end of that speech, but yeah, that, that's a really, it's a really interesting Really interesting and and thought provoking uh, speech and and overall plan by a villain. So th- this one this one was an, was was an original original semi original plan. I mean, when they get to the laser fight, it's basically just uh, 
Thunderball, but in space, which is okay. I don't think there's anything really wrong with that, but just pointed it out. I, I like the, yeah, I, I, I think I like the villains. Um, this actually might be the, this might be the golden age of Bond villains. Late Moore, late Roger Moore, this, this period. I mean, we're going to, we're going to go into the other villains in the other movies. And I, I think that they're, they're, uh, they're top notch. Ooh, we're probably going to disagree, but okay. Good. Okay. So let's, uh, let's go to the, let's get to the, to the, um, I guess the, the, the bad, we did the good, we did the bad. Uh, well, I think so. I will say uh, in terms of things that were good, I thought in, like in most of the Bond movies, I thought the stunts were really good. I thought the skydiving stunt off, off the, off the top was very exciting. Um, I thought it was really dynamic to watch. Of course, it ended quite ridiculously when Jaws landed on a goddamn circus tent, <laughs> which was a little much, but that's kind of what I liked about this movie is for me, now that I've seen all the Roger Moore ones, for me, Moore does well when he lands in that sweet spot of sometimes funny, but not always funny. And that's a problem I'll have with some of tonight's later movies is they get too funny. And I think this one has a good mix where it's over the top, but it's also not. Well, what's interesting was, I yeah, I was just about to, um, that was my number one issue, I think, with this movie, was the 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 cuts were a little jarring. Sure. So you have that you have the scene of the the pheasant hunt with Bond, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, Bond is is hunting pheasants with the main villain, um, and he shoots a, a guy in a tree who's spying on them, or one of his henchmen is like following them or something, and and the guy's like, "Yo, you missed," and he's like, "Did I?" Okay, classic Bond moment. A good person just dies, but it's you know it's Bond. Um, then right after that. Um, that the 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 uh, female interest to this point gets hunted by dogs, like like uh, the villain releases dogs. Yes, that's crazy. And 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 the dogs chase chase her down and kill her. Yeah, they, like rip her apart in the woods. Very dark moment for a Bond movie. And and then right after that, immediately after that, you get the you get the chase scene in Venice. Where it's all wacky and whimsical, and Bond oh is like, "Oh my god, the hovercraft!" The guy, gondola. The guy pops out of the yeah. The guy I was gonna say the guy pops out of the coffin, and then there's the, the gondola becomes a hovercraft. It's like float. It's like balancing on the on the coffin. Uh, I don't. I didn't get it. I, I I just that scene is fine. It was it was whimsical, slapsticky. It just went on too long. And I don't, and it, I, I fundamentally didn't like how it how it immediately followed that like graphic murder scene with the dogs. Sure, it was just a little jarring. I, I, I get I that. Not as not as polished as I, I would have liked from a from a Bond movie. But I, I mean, get that. you have the you um you have this moment where it, it, they I, I I think this is a callback to an earlier Bond movie, and they do it in a later one too. Um, I wonder if Bond. I wrote down. I wonder if Bond introduced this this like motif where, you know, where the the guy's like looking at something and it then it turns weird and he like looks at the bottle. I caught and that. I wrote that like, down. Yeah, I'm like, so, is that the same dude from the other movie? I I think it is. I think if you went back, it would probably be the. It's at least the same idea. And then he comes back and he does it again in, I think in the in in a view, or in, in a. No, it's in for your eyes only. Mm. I wrote. Yeah, I wrote. I wrote. Um, I missed that one. 
drunk. Uh, I said drunk Italian guy, way better recurring actor than racist cop. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I hope he got credited. That's awesome. Yeah. The best part is that he doesn't say anything, and he's only on camera for, like, less than six seconds. But he sells the shit out of it, because he, like, looks at the bottle, and then he looks back at it, and he, like, pours the bottle out. You're right, like, oh, yeah. this guy. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder if it was in other kinds of media before this, or if Bond, like, kind of coined it. Because it'd be kind of cool if this was something that was started by uh, by the Bond films. That's a good question. Yeah, that'd be kind of neat. But, you know, one thing I will say, and this kind of gets to the point you were just saying, and I wrote this down, this one moves at at a breakneck pace, never in one place for too long. I mean, this is a this is an, a, a quick moving mo- uh, movie, and I think, in my mind, that helped, because I think where the movies have gotten bogged down before are in action scenes that go on too long, dialogue scenes that go on too long, it's cut more like a modern movie. I think that worked to its advantage in that you you don't stay in one place too long and that it's constantly moving and constantly evolving. I liked that in the first 15 minutes of the film, you're already at the bad guy's house. You're at Drax's house in the first 15 minutes. I mean, this movie does not waste time, which I think helps it be more full of um, exciting, confident. I wrote good, exciting, well-executed, semi-original stunts. I love the stunt work in this movie, not just the uh, the skydiving, but the... Um, the uh, rail cars uh, or the gondola cars going sure. off the mountain with with Jaws and that whole scene I thought was very tense um, and was exciting to watch. Um, I, I I thought that was great. I also felt more uh, Roger Moore was more comfortable in this movie as Bond. I felt this is really from my in my mind where he hit like the peak like him in the role. Because I think in the first couple, he's getting into it. And I think finally here, he plays it really well. I was like buying, okay, this guy is Bond. Okay. That's fair to say. This is probably, this is what, his fifth or sixth appearance? Mm, no, fourth. His fourth, okay. Yeah. His fourth appearance. So yeah, this is where he, I think this is this is mostly where they, um, where, where you find the actors hit their stride. To me, I think Connery probably hit it with Goldfinger. Yeah. So that was only his third, but yeah, third or fourth, sure. Makes sense. Um, yeah, uh, I I really thought I, I I liked the twist. There was there was a little twist in this one where um, Doctor Goodhead reveals herself to be Agent Goodhead. You know, as a she's a Secret Service agent. She was great, and I thought that was awesome. Like that was um, didn't see it coming. Uh, even though I've seen it the movie before, I didn't. I guess. Uh, I also wrote Jaws needs a slide whistle or Looney Tunes music like like this. But they should bring the slide whistle back from uh, Live and Let Die. The stupid when the the car does that stupid corkscrew. They should bring that back and just play it pretty much whenever Jaws does anything in this movie because he's he's ridiculous. I I think I I kind of understand where they went with it. Like he was a badass villain in uh the in the live and let die or rather in uh uh, the spy who loved me and and he was like kind of terrifying and and imposing but in this one he just seems to be like i guess they he in between the films he got like a fan following which is why they brought him back for this one and i think they just play him for laughs i loved it i thought he he was much better in this one than he was in the last one 
He had well, he had more personality. I think in the last one he was just kind of the, he like, just grumbled he like odd a lot. job. He was like a tall odd job. Like yeah, he just grumbles and appears, and he's there to intimidate Bond. He's just basically a glorified henchman. This one he yeah he had a lot more personality and pizzazz, and in the end he even joins Bond, and and helps him out. When, he joins forces with them, which is amazing, and I love. I literally. After the gondola scene, when he gets out of the rubble and his girlfriend is there, his his new love interest is there, <laughs> I literally was like, oh my god, and I and I wrote in all caps, Jaws falls in love. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is good. Oh my god, this is the best movie ever made. And then like at the end of the movie where he like sacrifices himself to let Bond live and they're just there together. And I'm like, oh, I love this. It was great. Wow. I mean, it was so dumb, but that's why yeah. I liked it. Yeah. I, but I, maybe, maybe to me, this is part of the jarring, like the jarring aspect of it. Oh, that... this is an, ex I would say an extreme Bond film. This is a bit of an outlier, to be honest with you. I agree. It doesn't, it, it's interesting to me because I felt like, Moonraker, um, it sort of falls there. There for me, there are two kinds of Bond films, right? There's your kind of like out there Bond films, which is Moonraker and Live and Let Die, and some of these other. I'm trying to think. You only live twice, maybe. Uh, but then there's like kind of your more like straight lay spy movies from Russia with Love, For Your Eyes Only. Some of these more like. It's about being a spy. This one, it's not. This is about what crazy nonsense can we put Bond through this week? Yeah. Putting him through the ringer in just about every way. Uh, Roger Moore takes it like a champ, though. I mean, you got to admit, I, I watching these movies again, I, I think the biggest takeaway I have is that I, I have more, I've gained more respect for Roger Moore. Uh, he, his Bond is very different from Connery's, but... I used to think it was too, like too campy and too over the top, and it can be. It definitely can be in some areas, but I, I think, given the time that it's made, it makes sense. And it, and th these movies are much more. I won't say like they're incredibly more progressive than Connery's in terms of like social issues, but I think they they make they make strides that the Connery movies never did, and I'm and I'm glad to see the character evolve. Which which he does. I think he does. Bond kind of grows, grows up. Is this the movie with the teenager? The no, I think that's the that's, that's the, the next, next one. Movie. Okay, yeah, I won't spoil that. But I thought that was they, what they did with her was 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 in good taste. I agree I, for a Bond movie. I, I think Moore <laughs> is rarely served by these scripts. You know, he has to deliver these ridiculous lines. Any human being sounds silly selling. And I think he does a pretty good job at it. To me, he's like the workhorse Bond. You know, Connery could barely hack it for six movies, and this guy is kicking ass through seven. Um, and, and I think, you know, the worst thing you could call him is consistent. You know? Sure. He, he, gets, he comes in and gets the job done. I will say, the thing I took away is that whatever they're paying his, his stunt double should be doubled because he oh, is yeah. getting a lot of work in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think... Tit for tat, maybe Brosnan might have him beat, but I think that, yeah, Moore just seems to be the, like, over-the-top, like, brute force action-y Bond. You could say Craig, maybe, also. To me, but 
to me, more is the approachable bond. He he's he's the believable bond, maybe. Because I look at someone like Sean Connery, and I'm like, that guy would never really be a secret agent. But I look at Roger Moore, and I'm like, I buy it. I buy that right. guy could be a secret agent. Connery's kind of the film bond. And yeah, well, actually, t- for me, for me, that was um, that was Lazenby. Okay. For me, Lazenby seemed like the of of all of them probably the most plausible bond like in re- for a real life like realistic uh i thought at least um but yeah um these th- this movie ends um pretty much the same as many of them do where they all see bond having sex and they make some kind of crude joke about it. Like I, I love how, how often that, 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 um, that, uh, like final scene is, is used over and over, but, but they always seem to make it fresh. Like it's, it's always Q or somebody from MI6 or the whole MI6 team. Like, Where's Bond? Oh, there he is. He's having sex. Like, always. And then and then they always play it in a different way. And they make, like, a different innu- innuendo joke. And then that's the end. But yeah, it's, stop calling to congratulate the, him. Yeah. It is the classic, like, Bond uh, swan song. Or classic Bond send-off. I, which, of which I think the best one has to be For Your Eyes Only. But we'll get to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because that one is epic. <laughs> um, I do want to say, well, first of all, I think we breezed over it, and I just want to repeat, because I love the Bond women names, Holly Goodhead. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Sure. Um, Goodhead. Uh, yes. Go- Holly Goodhead. Just, you know, just had to point that out. Uh, I want to talk about the space stuff for a minute, because I thought the space stuff was really, really good. Um, movie spends a nice... First of all, when Bond goes to to get on the spaceship I'm like Bond is not going to space. That would be crazy. They're not, they're like something's going to happen. He's not actually going to space. And then they send him to the goddamn space. Matt. <laughs> in the space shuttle. Yep. Bond I also went to, to I also went to Google when was the space shuttle invented because I was suspicious of the timing of this film because I'm like that looks just like the real space shuttle but did we have space shuttles then? Did Bond predate the space shuttle did he actually what is it i read these sort of like sketch designs were done but one had never been launched so in the films when they launched them a lot of that was guesswork all right in terms of how that would work um but you know the i thought you can tell a james bond movie of this era by the enormous final set piece because it's you it usually is like a cave a big cave or a big pit. In this case, it's the space station. They build this big three-story in a soundstage somewhere, and, and they had the space station. And this movie set the record for the most number of uh, zero-gravity wires used simultaneously in a film when everyone goes weightless. It's a great-looking scene. Very wide, a lot of people. Everyone is suddenly weightless, running around the different space activities. Drax gets sucked into space. I just thought that whole sequence could have been done really dumbly, and I enjoyed how exciting it was. They get outside. They have laser guns for some reason. I wrote in my notes, you got Star Wars in my James Bond because that's <laughs> literally what it was. And it was insanity. And I'm like, I was there for every minute of it. Yeah. I mean, bottom line, yeah, they were they were mirroring, mirroring 
they're mirroring the pop culture. Oh, sure. This one a lot. Oh, yeah. Which they do in Bond movies. There's there's that. I mean, that's what makes them special. Uh, they're kind of known for that. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was, I thought it was overall, it was, it was all right. Just a little bit jarring. I like the set work. I like the, the different locations throughout these, the, the, this patch of movies and, uh, Moonraker goes places even into <laughs> outer space for real. Uh, it seemed like almost like wish fulfillment. Cause remember in, um, in uh, you only live twice. He Bond almost goes to space because right. he's in line to go and then then they capture him in the giant uh, volcano, artificial volcano. So it is kind of cool. It's kind of like oh, we almost got to see him go into space there. Oh wait, now we actually do get to see him out in outer space. So, um, now quickly, Matt, I do want to do. We talked about the villain. Let's talk about the villain's plan for a minute. Yeah, uh, Drax's plan. He collected a nerve agent uh, based on a plant that when released into the atmosphere would kill only humans, leaving animals and plants perfectly fine. His goal, he took uh, genetically superior quote-unquote people, put them in the space station, we're going to wait until all the people on Earth were dead, and then he was going to go back to Earth with these people and start humanity over again. So I ask you, Matt, good plan or bad plan? Wow. Um, you're putting this on me. I can go first if you'd like. I I think it's a unique plan. I'll say unique because we did say before that a lot of these villain plans seem to be rehashed and recycled. But And, and this one is definitely something new. Um, it's a little bit Star Trek-y. Matter of fact, it reminds me a lot of like Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. which... Um, had a lot to do with eugenics and uh, master race kind of kind of things. It is an interesting plan. I wouldn't say it's bad. I would say this is this is kind of this is kind of original and and fresh for a Bond movie. So I say good plan. Yeah, I what agree. What do you think? I mean, first of all, you gotta give the guy credit. He actually built an entire goddamn space station and space shuttle fleet. That's a lot of work for a Bond villain. So his plan was pretty much good to go. The other thing is that at least one previous Bond villain, if not more, had the destroy the world to start it over again plan. We saw it um, with the uh, with the underwater Atlantis base in uh, in the Spy Who Loved Me, and um, I, th- I think there was was there another villain who had that plan. The movies are really starting to blend together now. <laughs> Anyhow, there Thund- were Thunderball. No, that's yeah. Anyway, so. But this guy is smart because if you blow up the world with nuclear weapons, everything's irradiated. But this guy's like, no, I'm going to release this toxin that leaves everything fine, even the plants and animals. It just kills the people. And I'm like, okay, like, good plan. Good plan. Like, that's that actually of all the bond plans. I'm like, that one could actually work. Like, good job, guy. You 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 got closer than most bond villains do. He was even shooting them off into space. Like he was so close. He was. He was. He he came extremely close. Uh, what I liked about his plan was that it had nothing to do with getting a lot of money or or a particular resource. He seems like a lot of the-, of the Bond villains. It's all about like one resource, like gold or diamonds, uh, and, and or or uh, solar technology. And his was just 
like, no, I'm above that. I'm beyond your capitalist bond villain goals. My goal is to re- restart humanity. It's a, it's an incredibly ambitious goal for a bond villain, but okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. But inter- an interesting one, really an interesting one. He's not holding the world for ransom or anything like that. He's just like, no, nah, screw it. I'm starting everything over. I agree. Uh, anything else on uh, Moonraker, Matt? Um, not really. Okay. I, I had the, the slide whistle. We hear Jaws talk at the end, which was pretty yes. fun. What do you think Aww. of that? I love when Jaws. He says his line, cheers to us. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my heart broke. My heart broke for the guy. They made, He was a bad guy, but now he's a good guy. Yeah, I, I I knew that they then the I think the the only reason they left him alive at the end of the movie they mentioned he escapes in the space pod I I think is because they were probably hoping to bring him back. Do you think they were open to bring him back for another movie I, or like they were at least they were entertaining it? I'm sure they talked about it, but then again, who? I don't think anyone's been in three movies really. Inter- I mean, uh, Sergeant J W Pepper came back in two movies and two right. But outside of the like main cast, none of the real supporting guys tend to come back that up. Maybe like General Olaf, I think, was in three or four. General Olaf? O- Olaf, the, the Russian uh Oh, was he general? supposed to be the same character? Yes. Oh, okay, I didn't Yeah. I didn't get that. Yeah, other than other than Bond, M, Q, Money Penny, like the standard your standard yeah, hero. Felix, Felix repeats as a character Felix but always Leiter. played by a different yeah. actor. Mm-hmm. Like side characters, yeah. They never, usually they don't. never seem to make more than two, right? No, so I don't know. I don't know, oh. but he. I think the send off was good. I don't think you want to bring him back after that. I think you really closed the book on Jaws in this one. I mean, Blofeld was probably in a couple. Blofeld, that's true. Right? He was in three, two or three. Sure. Um, including our next film, <laughs> For Your Eyes yes. Only, the nineteen eighty one film. That's my segue. Uh, nineteen eighty one. Roger Moore returns for his fifth. This time, John Glenn is at the helm. Director John Glenn taking his first crack at the Bond franchise. He would go on to direct five films in the series. Uh, this movie came out uh, with a $28 million budget, made $195 million at the box office. Uh, we are introduced to an exciting world, Matt. And more of a return to a, a classic spy film. Yeah, that's exactly where my notes start up. Is that I wrote, did that thing where the last Bond movie was crazy? So this one is more sober, more realistic, and more character-driven. Absolutely. Uh, it was more It was more about – or story-driven, rather, and character-driven, too, I say. Yeah, it's – this is uh, Bond returning to form. They did it. They've done it before, most notably, I think, after uh, Live and Let Die and um, the one immediately golden after gun. Live and Let Die. Thank you, Man with a Golden Gun. And then right after that with uh, The Spy Who Loved Me. The Spy Who Loved Me. Very the spy reminiscent. Me that kind of return to form. Very reminiscent of that. Yes. In, in later more films, For Your Eyes Only is that return to form. Yep. Sean, I really like this movie. I think this, this for me, this is my favorite one of the night. This is my pick for favorite of the night. Matt, can I surprise you? Did you have that written down in your notes? <laughs> yeah, it says right here. It's going to be Matt's favorite of the <laughs> night. No, I... Also love this movie, and it's 
tied with Moonraker for my favorite of the night. I actually okay. really, I was shocked that I liked both of these back to back. I really, really enjoyed this movie. But that's just, that's what I love about doing the Bond franchise is I like these two movies for totally different reasons. That's insane. It's the same actor. It's the same people making them. But they're like two totally different films, and that's great. Oh, I totally agree. I think if you were to if you were to show somebody who's never seen Bond before these two movies back to back, I think that these would be the two that would convince them to want to watch more. Yes, more movies, not Roger Moore, but all but real, like more Bond movies, just because they are totally different. But at the same time, they do what they do so well. Um. Yeah, and, and this one was the one that really finally sold me on Roger Moore. Because after coming out of Live and Let Die and The Man with the Golden Gun, I'm like, I'm not, I don't know what I think of this Roger Moore guy. And then between Moonraker and For Your Eyes Only, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm on board. I'm, I'm on yeah. the Moore train. Um, this one was very, it was a very introspective Bond movie. Yes, I well, intro, introspective and self-referential. Especially in the intro scene. Yes. Which, I mean, we, we talked about it before. Weird intro scene. Oh, my God. This one's very, bizarre. very bizarre. Comes totally out of left field. Um, do you want to explain a little bit, uh, summarize for the folks at home? Yeah, so... This, this bizarre intro scene? Talking about inside references, he's leaving uh, flowers at his wife's grave. And you're saying, what are you talking about, Sean? James Bond doesn't have a wife. Uh, check the tape. He does. Um, in, a, in a previous movie, not played by Roger Moore, which is kind of crazy. Uh, the second time he's referenced his dead wife, Roger Moore. Um, he's called away for business. He gets on a helicopter, and that helicopter is suddenly taken control of by legally not Ernst Blofeld. And you're saying, what do you mean <laughs> legally not Ernst Blofeld? You notice they never call him that in the film. Uh, the uh, pr the producers don't own the rights to Blofeld uh, because the character it was created in Thunderball um, was, was the Bond movie that had complicated rights between these producers and another set of producers. It's believed that part of that is why they killed off the character so weirdly in this one is to kind of stick a point that a deliberate statement that they didn't need the character, so they just killed him off. So you never see his face. You see a bald man in a wheelchair with a cat, and you're supposed to just imply that it's Blofeld, and he, he whizzes James Bond around in a very exciting helicopter action sequence. Bond climbs inside the helicopter. Helicopter flies through a building. Eventually, Bond gets control, takes the helicopter, swoops down, picks up the wheelchair with the skid of the helicopter, and then dumps his ass in, the, in a smokestack, killing him off. Boom, start of movie. Whoa. Wow. Now, what just happened? And it's never referenced again. Exactly. It's <laughs> not even, yeah, not even brought up later in the film. I don't want to put you on the spot here, Sean, but did they, and, and we can, I'm sure someone could look it up. I, I should have researched this beforehand, but do they, what do they credit this figure as in the, like, do they give him a credit? Because obviously they can't call him Blofeld. Do the, they call him like man with cat or something? The character is unnamed, not even listed. They don't not list an actor or a name. So do you think it was just like a stunt man? Like are they or somebody an extra they had on hand or something? Well, I'm curious. It wasn't even in SAG. I'm sure the guy in the wheelchair was. I don't know who did his voice. Uh Wikipedia comments that it might have been Telly Savalas. Sounds like Telly Savalas who's bald, but nobody really seems to to know. Yeah, this is, I mean, at first glance, 
I, you might think this is petty. It's like pettiness, but I really liked it. I thought it was, it was, it was, um, a fun way to publicly announce a departure from kind of from the old regime. Like, you know, like that's the bond of the past. We're dumping, we're dumping this out. And you do, I think you do see a lot of changes in this movie. This is what I was talking about with kind of a more progressive bond. Um, it, I mean, the purpose of it was all, it was legal, like legal purposes because they didn't have the rights to the character anymore. And, and, uh, they, they were showing like, you know what? It doesn't matter. We don't care. We don't care that we don't have the rights. Like we're done. We're moving on. I liked it. I, I get what you're saying. The problem is Blofeld hadn't been in a movie for like 10 years at this point. Well, it was point. the symbol. I think it was the symbol of Blofeld. Yeah. Not necessarily the, the – I mean the character didn't matter. I mean really the character didn't matter because they just trusted you to fill in the blanks using your own Well, your but that's the thing. Head. I think this makes more sense for Bond fans. I think if you're just coming into the movie just to watch the movie and you're like, what's up with the dude in the wheelchair? Like that was weird. Oh yeah, this was to- it was totally service to to the fans. I didn't I? Th- I mean, I thought the helicopter stuff was exciting to watch. Um, d- did they really need to do it? I don't think so. Did it add a lot to this particular movie? No, it's more of a weird footnote in the movie. But okay, that's more power to them. I guess if you're gonna make a stand, that's a good way to do it. I really liked it. Yeah, I I really liked that it, the the message that it sent. Was it completely necessary? No, but I mean, it was, it was kind of, it was a, uh, I thought it was a nice little wink and nod Mm -hmm. to the, to the fans of the series and being like, they were kind of, the message was sent that we're going to be okay. And we're going to, we're going to keep doing bond as, as, as we interpret bond. And, and, uh, it was also just, I mean, it was more like, uh, yeah, we know you read these things. We we might have read this in the papers, you know about about everything that's going on. But um, here's our take on it. You know, doesn't matter to us. Whatever we dump, we'll dump them down smokestack and we'll move on. See, I I thought that honestly, as much as I enjoyed that, I thought maybe not more exciting, but the as exciting opening was the sinking of the ship. I'm mixing up sinking of the no, ship. No, I'm right. Yes, where it's the the secret, um, it's the fis- fishing vessel disguised, uh, it's spy ship, with the ATAC in it, and they sink it. Floods with water. Oh yeah, okay. I mean, I thought right. that was I thought that was exciting too. Yeah, no, that was exciting. Sure, sure, sure. I I, I just think that this was a different. It's a different thing. This was this was symbolic. Sure. This was like a symbolic intro. Sure. And I, and I thought it was cool because most of the time the intro is what the intro is. Bond doing something cool, actiony, Bondish, or the villain doing something dastardly evil. This was a departure from both of those things. This yep. is so, something totally different. This is Bond, like almost breaking the for, the fourth wall, mm-hmm. um, in a self referential way. Uh, and the uh, the part, both both parts, you could divide it into the into the two things. The uh, leaving flower flowers at his wife's grave, and the dumping Blofeld down the smokestack. I think were symbolic of two different things. I think they were, but both of them, you know, they were different. They were different in that it, the first part was Bond recognizing the past and recognizing his past, 
and learning to kind of cope with it, mm-hmm. laying the flowers and, and coping with it. And you see the quote, we have all the time in the world, which he says in on Her Majesty's Secret Service um, right after his wife is killed. So it's it's like a touchstone to the past. And then you have the dumping Blofeld down the, the smokestack, which is supposed to be cool and, and bondish. But it's also saying that we're parting ways with this, this old regime and, um, you know, we'll be all right. This was also um, this was also kind of part of I wrote down a tear it all down mentality. Yeah, that's what I felt like throughout this whole movie was like new director, um, same bond that we've had in the past, but but kind of different in a lot of ways. He he's a lot more confident. I mean, you said you said Sean that in in Moonraker was where he found his stride and found his confidence. I think in this movie, it's where he shows it. Yeah, like that he has found it, and this oh, is he like, comes out swinging. Yes, comes out swinging. Exactly, exactly. He's firing on all cylinders in this one, and that's what I really, really like to see. Um, if there's ever a Bond movie that I like, I think I, I would rewatch again and again. It'd probably be this one. I mean, realistically, I actually did that with uh, Goldeneye. When we get to Goldeneye, I've seen that movie more than any of the other Bond films. Oh, boy, I'll have to study it closely. But um, I don't know why. I guess that was one of the first ones that I, I saw. Say, of the, I had like, some know, kind of attachment to it. But Yeah, 95. Um, this, this one was great. Yeah, yeah, this one was great. If, if, I, ever were, if I were to like, read essays about a Bond film, I think this would be the one that I'd like to, I'd like to read more about for your eyes only. Excellent. Yes. Even no. the title itself kind of alludes to like the Bond fans. Like these it's films are for your eyes only. Yeah. It's a very good name. It's pretty neat. Um, so I, I think there was a lot to like in this movie. I really liked um the quote unquote main Bond girl of the film, Melina Havelock. Um it was nice to see, and we saw a little bit of this with Holly Goodhead in the previous film, but I like when the Bond girls have something to do, when they actually contribute to the movie and they're not just there to be dumb. And yes. She was really good. She comes out. You meet her at first. Bond talks sexy to her. Okay. And then, boom, she's suddenly in the woods with a goddamn crossbow. And you're like, wow, all right. This this lady kicks ass. And, like, Bond keeps saying, stay here, stay here. And she's like, screw you. No, I'm not staying here. I thought that was – I love when these movies do that um, because I think it brings more out of Roger Moore in his performance to have somebody more his equal. It was kind of like in – um, a movie we were just comparing to this one, um, The Spy Who Loved Me, where, again, Triple X is sort of his counterpart. He has more to work with in terms of the the acting and the and the scenes. And so I, I thought she was really good in this. Yeah. I actually, I wrote that down. Yeah, best, best Bond girl since The Spy Who Loved Me, for sure. This was awesome. This was, uh, this Bond girl was uh, independent, strong, motivated motivated for like she was out for revenge it was actually a lot it was very very similar to the spy who loved me many different ways except she wasn't a spy which right, i exactly. liked because it's like she's just a regular lady with a crossbow like that's crazy mm-hmm. i feel like she was what she was what um the girl from gold was a gold thing no um jill masterson yeah goldfinger I think she was what she was what they were probably kind of go kind of going for in Jill Masterson, but like they Sean Connery's, yeah, and Sean Connery's machismo and kind of like over masculine style was was like what what kind of 
I guess, overshadowed her in that movie well, or something. It, you know but, what this movie really reminded me a lot of, which surprised me? It felt very Indiana Jones to me. Yeah. In a lot of ways, both in Moore's performance, in, in her performance, in the sort of the, the the history around the movie, the locations of the movie, the, yeah. the, the villains of the movie. I thought if instead of the ATAC being the sort of MacGuffin of the film, if it had been some kind of artifact, I'm like, this is an Indiana Jones movie. Right. They have to climb up the mountain. They go to the temple and it's all in like the Greek islands. Yeah, very few like crazy gadgets in this one. There are some, but not not as many. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's not about the gadgets in this one, which was really cool because they, you know, Q... Q sets Bond up with like these gadgets and things, He's, and uh, more most famously that like high tech vehicle, that like car, that vehicle, and but then we see it get destroyed right oh, away, almost immediately, almost immediately it's just great. gets destroyed, which is awesome. I love that. That I love that they do that because oh. it's it's the movie is about Bond immediately like cutting ties with the technology and like just going off of his own human instincts which is awesome but i will say this movie did have one of my favorite gadgets of all time the identograph oh sure uh the 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 high-tech way of making a face where it's like all these big cartridges in a big computer room and it's like oh what's his nose look like and then it was like able to make the photograph out of it it was crazy yeah that was it was a printer it was actually it was a pretty yeah dot matrix like yeah god it was a long time ago but that's what i think so if this movie is Indiana Jones, it's Indiana Jones with way better stunts. This movie had a ton. I wrote in my notes an insane amount of stunt double work on this one. Um, and I wrote, this one has much more action than a standard Bond film. I really thought it did. A lot more gunfights. We had the the big Citroen car chase, the little yellow car chase. We had the big ski chase that went on forever. And like he's in a goddamn bobsled track and he's going off a big... He went through like eight Olympic events on skis, which was crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought it was shot really well. There was uh, all the, the underwater stuff where, where they're having this kind of slow underwater fight. I wrote slowest underwater fight ever. Um, I just thought it was great. I thought that the action was really good in this one and there was a lot of it, a lot to really enjoy. Yeah. Um, the, the, I, I love the set pieces, big, big time fan of the set pieces. Uh, this was, this was, yeah, it was an action packed. It, 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 it held my interest in a way that many Bond movies don't like, a lot of Bond movies are great, but there's always there are always some rough patches where you gotta wait. And I think the most famous one for you was was it Golden Gun? Was that the one that you thought was like you had to watch it in two sittings? Oh, Thunderball. It, are you sure it wasn't Gold Man with the Golden Gun? No, that one was also hard, but specifically the incredibly slow, yes. silent slow underwater of fighting of Thunderball. But I thought you said for Golden Gun, you you said you want you had to watch it in two parts. Well, like there's several sit, of these I've had to watch in two sit and parts. Just watch the whole thing. I will yeah. say Moonraker and For Your Eyes Only are some of the few I've watched all the way through in a single sitting. Right. Well, that's what I mean. Is that yeah? These these keep your attention. Well, I just kept. I literally in both of these films out loud. If you were like my neighbor, you must have thought I was getting stabbed because I do that like really loud out loud laugh thing I do where mm-hmm. where it's like. <laughs> what was that? And I like I just go nuts because I'm like this is insanity. When, when he's going down the bobsled, or there's like one point where he goes off, a, like he skis across a table people are dining on at, at a ski lodge, and he kind of, and there's like a dude with a mug of hot cocoa who's like confused, and I'm like, what yep. is going on? That's it was wonderful. great. 
Wonderful stuff. Yeah. Um, right out of the gate. Yeah. I thought John Glenn did a great, a great directing job on this one. Uh, we're introduced to a, um, another bond girl. I don't know if she counts as a bond girl. <laughs> well, She's they have character. sex. Do they have sex? No, no, they don't. Then she they, can't be a not, bond girl. So, okay, good. Because, so what I'm talking about is the, the young high school, like high school age girl who's the ice skater. Yes. Who, who I guess tries, she like, she sneaks into Bond's room. Okay. And, and like gets into Bond's bed, but Bond is like totally not into the idea. Right. Right from the very beginning. He's just like, put your clothes back on. Like we're, I think he says, put, put your, get dressed and I'll buy you an ice cream. I yes. think is the line. Yes, he does. And, and when I saw that, I really appreciate, I was genuinely concerned in that scene. I was like, don't go there, Bond. Come on. Don't just don't just don't do that. And and but he doesn't. And totally, totally um subverts my expectations of Bond, you know, as as like a dirty creep. I thought that he was gonna do it. He was gonna go there, but he didn't. This counts as progress, is what I wrote. Very glad to see Bond turn down the young high school girl. This counts as progress. See, I had a slightly different spin where I wrote. It is fun watching Bond get some of that sweet sexual assault back at him. Oh, a different, that's a different take Cause, on cause, that. Cause, cause the whole time I'm like, good, <laughs> he's getting a taste of his own medicine. Now he should stop assaulting all those other women. <laughs> Not everyone wants to sleep with you, James Bond. Yeah. I, I, I thought this was, this was a good thing. This was a good thing for the franchise. Like it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's baby steps, but it, it, it puts a more, it, it it puts limits on Bond. It puts limits on him. It puts like guardrails up, which is good. I think he needs those guardrails sometimes, most of the time. Well, and first of all, her name, great name, BB Doll. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yep, I didn't catch that. I knew they, they kept calling her BB, but I didn't catch that her last name BB was Doll. Doll, which I'm like, great. yes, I love these names. Great um, name. I also, it's kind of incredible that when I first met that character, I'm like, she's going to be, she's going to get on my nerves. She's going to be really annoying. And then by the end, I'm like, she's meant to play an annoying character, which I get, but I don't find her annoying. Like, I find something compelling about really? that character. Yes, it was weird. Because I like, I know I'm supposed to find her annoying. And now that I've accepted that and I've moved on from that, I'm like, oh, I get, she needs to be annoying in this movie for the movie to work. In, in, a, in the movie where it's the same character, but she's sexy or she's exciting or anything else but what she is, it's not as interesting of a movie. So I'm glad she's annoying in it. And I came to appreciate what it added to the film because not most annoying Bond girls, when I think back to Goodnight as, a, as an example of one who was really bad, she was just annoying because she was ditzy. But BB just plays it off as a young teenager in the 70s. And I'm like, okay, I get that. That's an interesting element to add to this movie we haven't seen in Bond films before. So I got on board at that point. Well, I, we had different interpretations. <laughs> I, just, I thought she was freaking annoying from the beginning to end. Well, then it worked. <laughs> then it worked. That's the yeah. idea. Oh, well. Um, she, yeah, I, I actually, I didn't really think she worked in the movie. She could have really just, she that one scene where she tries to seduce Bond and Bond isn't having any of it. That worked and that was good. But I think it could have been a one note thing. Like maybe Bond goes to this resort and he sees 
a young girl skating and she sees him and then she tries to seduce him like that could have worked as a good opening i think and then he says uh, like put your clothes on and i'll buy you ice cream and then cut to title some yeah but there would have to be some kind of fight scene or action maybe the when the hockey guys show up that was weird too remember why, the weird hockey why fight? did all this stuff keep that, that, that fight took 30 seconds i want to say that all all of that could have easily taken place as the intro like mm. he could have done the ski for the skiing thing and fight fought the hockey players to rescue the ice skating girl finds out she's really young doesn't sleep yeah. with her because that would be dirty and um and then they cut to the title scene the title sequence i think that would that would have worked totally fine as well, an intro well but they did Not a saying i didn't like the intro to this no. one I thought this was a great intro but no but they did a skiing opening in two movies earlier in the spy who loved me so i don't know if they'd want to do and then they do another one in A View to a Kill. They do. They um, do. But I mean But I hear what you're saying. They recycle I, I hear what lot. you're saying. Yeah, they have they have a pretty deep recycle bin for, but, for a lot of their ideas. But you know, one thing they didn't recycle, and you'll have to correct me, I think this is the first time they do it with the villain fake out. Where they set you up in this movie yeah. to think that um Columbo Milo's Columbo, who's eating those pistachios all the time, which is great. Um, you're led to believe he's the bad guy, which Bond is told by Christados, uh, who Bond thinks is his friend, and then comes to find out. Columbo goes, no, you've got the wrong guy. Christados is the bad guy. And I bought it, and I was totally on board with it because they hadn't done it before in a zillion movies. And I'm like, all right, this is actually really interesting. And Christados, I thought, was a pretty good Bond bad guy. Not yeah. as over the top as some of the other ones, because this plan was a little more reasonable. It was just kind of a normal smuggler villain bad guy rather than a destroy the whole world bad guy. But I thought he sold it. I thought he his acting. I thought actually Columbo was really. I thought they were both great. Sean, I I loved that part of the movie. I I thought that was awesome. It, it and it had never been done in a Bond movie. Uh, it, it totally subverted the audience's expectations in a, in a really unique way. Yep. Um, th- that's what this movie was about. Like kind of the recurring theme was subverting audience expectations. You know, you see it when the car gets destroyed. So Bond doesn't get his usual gadgets that he has to rely on. He has to rely more on his wits. You see it with the, with the girl being extremely competent and, and productive and, and a good, actually a good asset to, and compliment to Bond. Uh, you see it with him turning down the, um, the young female, also kind of subverts audience expectations in a good way. Um, and, and yeah, most prominently you see it with this villain twist where, where it turns out that Christados is behind the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I thought it was awesome. I thought that was like, it, it was very mature. I wrote that this is overall, this is Moore's most mature grown up bond film yet. And, and, and uh, you see it at the end, the very end when well, first of all, when Q shows up disguised as the priest, I thought that was hilarious. Um, again, a little, but a little subversion because Q is usually in the like beginning of the movie, and and but he doesn't show up again, but he shows up later on. And then um, when Bond destroys the code machine, when he just throws the thing right off the cliff, and is like, now neither of us have it, which really aggressively explodes when it hits a rock. Yeah. I mean, it shatters into a, a million they pieces. Had, they had fun with that one. I think they had to make it clear that nobody was getting their hands on it after that yep but really um really really fun ways 
It's a great movie. To kind of turn things on the on 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 its head. Awesome. I, I liked it. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I agree. This one was a really really good one. I didn't like though at the end when the girl is about to. She wants to kill the bad guy. Yes. She wants to finally have her revenge, and Bond says something. You'll like, dig. You'll dig. You're digging two you're graves. Digging two graves. Yeah. Right. He's being very like stoic and philosophical but Bond does that shit all the time he's all about revenge he takes revenge in the very first scene when he dumps he dumps Blofeld into the smokestack you have to remember he is licensed to kill she does not have a license to kill you have to fill out some forms and be tested for that okay so he's allowed to do it she cannot he doesn't want her to get a fine he doesn't oh it's a a hefty fine and community service Right. If you if you fish without a license, you get a fine. Years of probation? Sure that goes on your record. That impacts your credit score. Sure. That's true. That's true. You know, now if she were to apply for a license to kill and go through the normal six-month waiting process and the background check and all the, you know, the, the test that goes along with it, then she can kill the guy. Yeah. But until then, revenge is only cool when Bond does it. Exactly. <laughs> Basically. Um he even does it, in the, yeah, like I said, in the earlier in that movie, when he dumps Blofeld down the smokestack, he also kicks the guy off the cliff when he's in the car. Yes, it's, which is a controversial scene. Moore didn't want mm-hmm. to do that scene, kicking him off the car, because he thought that was a little too mean even for Bond. Right. Um, but he did it anyway. He uh, did it anyway. Well, one last thing I want to mention on For Your Eyes Only, and we, we tease this in, in Moonraker, but the, the ending scene of the movie, after Bond has succeeded... Um, and he starts having sex with the Bond girl of the film. He, uh, they try to call Bond um, and patch him in with the Prime Minister. A, a, I believe is that Margaret Thatcher. It's supposed to be a Thatcher. Yeah, uh, yeah, Thatcher clone, basically. Like it, like it is. It is Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. And then, and then he um, gives the he puts the phone next to the parrot in the movie. Who repeats a couple lines and hello, hello. And Margaret Thatcher <laughs> is so stupid, she really thinks she's talking to James Bond. And then, of course, it goes, uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And she goes, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And then the, and then the bird goes, give me a kiss. Give me a kiss. Oh, my. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. I was this it. the first movie made with Thatcher as prime minister? That I don't know. That's a good. That probably was. I mean, this was the '80s, right? This was this was '81. Yeah, yeah. So I, I probably was. It was. I thought it was. It was cute. It was a cute little ending. In a movie uh, that had been pretty serious throughout, I thought that was a fun way to end it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was fun. It was fun. Uh. Yeah, because that movie did get dark in some places for sure. From Bond kicking the guy off the cliff to the flowers on the grave. It, it, but it had a great balance to it. It really did have a good balance and a good tempo for a Bond. It was it was very mature for a Bond movie. Um, they rely on the parrot. The parrot is a huge plot yes. plot device for um, finding the the location and the ultimate like final scene. Awesome, um, really, really well done. Because because it, it, it's very it's like low tech. It's like you know. The Bond using his wits. The the guy uses the pistachios to to find to identify the henchman. Like that was it's good spy work. work. Yes, good spy. It's like a return to form. So overall, yeah, I, I give this one a high a high score. I give it high marks for a Bond film. Strongly agree. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Matt, we have to move on to the next film. 
Uh, I have a sneaking suspicion won't get quite as high a marks. It is Octopussy, uh, the next film here from 1983. John Glenn returns to direct. Roger Moore returns to star. This film cost uh, $27.5 million, made 187 at the box office. Um, he's back, and he's going to India this time around. Um, yeah, Matt, if I have to sum up my thoughts of this movie in, I literally wrote one word, corny. <laughs> this was a very corny. This was. I also, uh, by the way, kind I, of a, Roger Moore's like stereotypical campy movie. Yeah. I also wrote, and then my two other comments right after it was, I cannot handle the sheer quantity of quips being thrown at me. And then is more getting less charming as these films go on? Yeah, we saw, I think we saw him peak. I think we saw him peak with For Your Eyes Only. I think it's only kind of down from here. It's like a sl- slow, he's moving down the ladder but on this one. Again. Like slow I, walk down the ladder, slow I, climb down. I got to take, I got to take issue with the script though, because I don't know if any actor, I swear to God, if I went through the script and counted easily 70% of his dialogue is one liners. I mean, it is out of control in this film. And I don't think anybody, I don't think Connery, I don't think anybody could have delivered this script in a good way. It's bad in this one. Do you think that the writers thought this is what, this is what the people wanted? So let's give it to them. I think, think the that's writers, why they're in there. I honestly, and, and when we get to a view to a kill, my, my, uh, there's some sort of similar opinions between them, but I think they're just out of ideas. And I think they're just, moving into the half-ass phase of Roger Moore's tenure as Bond, honestly, which is a shame. I, another thing I wrote, this one is much slower compared to the other film. Four Your Eyes Only and even Moonraker are fast films. They move. You got mm. you got quick stunts. You've got quick scenes. The dialogue doesn't go on too long. This movie, scenes drag on forever. The taxi chase through India scene was one of the most mild car chases I've ever seen in film. Almost nothing interesting happens except at the end when he goes through about eight different Indian stereotypes where it's the guy laying on the bed of nails. He pulls a sword out of a sword swallower. I'm like, come on. Like, yeah. like you can't be both boring <laughs> and jokey. Like, it doesn't work. Well, I was, I was just going to say, I think pretty much the entire chase was all just built for laughs. Like, yes. it was built for corny laughs. And, and every line is stupidity. a joke. Yeah, basically. It was... Uh, it was it was very much played for laughs that that chase part um, through the through the uh, Indian streets there. I um, yeah I don't I don't have a whole lot good of good things to say about this. One. <laughs> uh, uh, I I wrote that there's the there's the intro scene which has nothing to do with the rest of the movie where um, there I think they're supposed to be in Cuba. It's like I get I, I I thought there was it was a direct reference to like the Bay of Pigs and Cuban Missile Crisis with um there's like the Fidel Castro lookalike yeah and and Bond dresses up as like one of their generals but he gets caught immediately and then he plants the bomb I didn't really it had nothing to do with the rest of the movie no I, I get but it, and it was also really slow and not a great intro at all I and and not, not really timely either because. This is in 1983. This is two decades after that had happened. It's not even like a contemporary thing. 
I guess they had to show Bond doing a Bond doing like a spy thing. Yeah, he's got he's got the fake horse trailer with the tiny plane in it. I thought right. elements of the plane, like when he flies the plane through the hangar, I thought that was a pretty good stunt. You know, he goes sideways out the door. But again, it's one of those. It's like you got to learn when to cut because that it not only does he fly the plane out, he then does aerial stuff to avoid a missile. Then he flies through the thing. Then he lands it, stops at a gas station and says, fill it up. Come on. (laughs) But then then he does like another whole bit with like the plane bit goes on forever. And I'm like, you could have done one stunt, not four all next to each other. Yeah, that was that was silly. It was just a silly. But I will say I did like some of the stunts in the movie. I thought I did think elements of the plane were really good. I thought the not to get too far ahead, but I thought the um, the train chase where he's on top of the train or he's 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 kind of grabbing onto the side of the train. I thought that was all really exciting. I thought it was shot really well. I thought, um, you know, the, the stuff where it's actually the stunt double on a real train. I'm like, wow, that looks really dangerous. Like, wow, that's really exciting. Um I thought I had moments that were that were good. Um, I don't think there were enough of them. Like I said, the the tuk tuk chase was kind of meh for me. Um, so it was a little a little give or take in the stunt department. Yeah. Uh, this this movie was relying too heavily on its set pieces. I think it was relying too heavily on its environment. You know, in India. Exotic location. The circus. Never, they had never been there before. Circus. It was relying too much on that. And the story wasn't great. The um, Roger Moore wasn't great in this one. No. I, I didn't really get a lot from him. It didn't really, it didn't have, a, it didn't have a whole lot to save it. I thought that his friend, his Indian friend was oh, pretty Oh, he cool. was great. Oh, he was dynamite. Pull him off. VJ. They kill him off pretty early. He's actually, it turned out, um, I looked him up. He was a popular tennis star. That's why India. he uses Time, the tennis racket. Why, right. Why the tennis racket is, is used in the car chase and in other scenes. So He was really uh, funny. That but that's, pretty, the, that's the kind of character you put in a more serious Bond movie to lighten the tone. You don't need him in an already jokey movie. I think that's overkill. I mean, for me, this movie had several. We talked about the slide whistle moment. This movie had several slide whistle moments including when the snake charmer plays the james bond theme yeah which i'm like come on there's also (laughs) where um bond is swinging on a vine through the jungle and does a goddamn tarzan yell oh that i'm like stop oh my god it was like stressful for me watching this movie because i'm like i can't take it it was like an annoying kid that's how I felt. Like when, whenever, whenever something like that happened, it's like an annoying kid that's like, "Look at this! Look at this! Look at this!" Look Remember what I can this? do. Remember this? Remember this? Yeah. It was frustrating. Um, the villain wasn't that like the the henchman villain, the really tall Indian guy. Oh, uh, Magda. Magda, yeah. Um, was basically just a rehash of like Jaws and Odd Job, just like your silent henchman person. Made me actually appreciate Jaws even more because it was like, at least Jaws they gave him some personality. He's got a character. But see, I thought the the good gimmick guy was the buzzsaw yo-yo guy. Yes. Which was like, I was trying to think like, which is less useful, a buzzsaw yo-yo or Odd Jobs hat? And I'm like, I guess the The yo-yo saw comes back to you. The hat 
is yeah, the hat doesn't, but the hat's cool at least. The hat's badass. He doesn't use it nearly enough in the movie, but it is cool. It was such a weird choice as a weapon. It was just a, yeah. I think it was just one of those like neat little Cold War spy things, like the like the the knife tip shoes in From Russia with Love. Yeah. Um, they they make they make pointed reference to Money Penny's age in this one. When Bond comes in and sees like the young Money Penny, and he yes. goes right for he pretty much erases the progress he made in the last movie. He he dives right for right in for the new intern, and then old Money Penny shows up and is like, "I'm right here, James. I'm which, still here. You still have to look at me." Which, by the way, Money Penny's assistant, another great Bond name, Penelope Smallbone. Yeah, yes, there we go. Like, who comes up with this? They they probably have a generator, like a Bond name generator, so out there in the world somewhere. Um, they did have the, uh, for the very first time, a female main villain in the Bond movie, but um, I, they gave her very much like a Blofeld esque intro where you don't see her face, but you do see the nail polish. And, um, is she petting a cat? I don't remember. She's, she just, you just see her hand. I think she's petting a cat or something. And she's like at a desk. It's, it's supposed to be like a, it's like, Oh look, Mrs. Blofeld or something like that. We can do Blofeld too. I struggle to call her the primary villain though, because she's not she's not really the villain. Kamala's the villain. He's the one with the nuclear bomb. I mean she's a, she's a jewelry smuggler, but I think by the end of the movie you're supposed to like it's kinda like um uh Tiffany Case, one of your favorite characters, um, who is also a, a jewel smuggler, but you're like, oh, she's a bad person, but we're still supposed to like her. So I, I, I agree, she should be the primary villain, but by the end I, of this... I treated, I treated her more like the primary villain. Mm. Like I thought that he he was like the mastermind behind it, but she was the the face of it. She was like the face of the the villain team. But then they make a whole point where she's like, one. oh, she used to be a jewel smuggler, but now she's in legitimate businesses like the circus and other legitimate things. Yeah, but she's still helping the That's smuggler. true. That's, yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Him. But... I get, yeah, I I get your point. I thought the, she was good in the movie. Uh huh. I thought she I thought her acting was good. I I you know was it a compelling movie overall? No, but I thought at least she was good in it. I thought that her team was it was interesting that they used they kind of used their sexuality to yes the all lady fighting force yeah to achieve their goals, which was a, an interesting thing. I guess was seemed to be kind of empowering because um, you're used to bond like you know a wolf in a hen house, but these are like, you know, the hens are fighting back and I'm like pecking the, the, uh, the horny men that are, that are after them. Although I will say cool. it drove mm-hmm. me nuts when at the, towards the end of the movie, when, um, Octopussy and all of her ladies from the circus are infiltrating Khan's lair after he set them up to die in the nuclear explosion and they're like using circus stuff to get in. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. She's going to kick his ass and take him down and use the circus ladies to do it. I'm on board. And then goddamn James Bond has to fly in in a friggin' Union Jack hot air balloon. <laughs> out of no, I literally thought like, hey, finally, the lady is going to have a chance to succeed at the day. We don't need James Bond <laughs> yeah, right. to succeed. And then he fucking jets in in his goddamn hot air balloon. Yeah. And I was so mad. And like he uses the hot air balloon to knock over a bad guy. I'm like, what is happening in this movie? What would have been funny is if Bond came in and ruined their plan, like kind of like, like, um, 
Kind of like Tiffany Case, yeah. When and and when she messes up Bond's plan in in Diamonds, and uh, when when his plan gets messed up in Golden Eye, or Gold Man with Golden Gun, yes. Um, like I thought that would be that would have been a, you're, yeah. You're right. You're right. That would have been a nice uh, subversion that would have made this movie a little more unique. But as it was, um, this movie had the unfair advantage of. Uh, the or the unfortunate advantage of being the one to compete with Sean Connery as Bond. For this is the first time ever that two Bond movies were released simultaneously into theaters, um, like the same year, to compete against one another. Uh, and and Connery was in the unofficial um, Never Say Never Again in the same year. So. I, I, I wonder how much that had an impact on this movie. It didn't seem like it really did. Like, Con- uh, Moore was just doing his thing, and the writers were doing their thing, and it didn't seem like this was the one that... It, they didn't make any any direct references or, or shots at, uh, at Connery's Bond or anything yeah. like that, which I kind of expected. I thought maybe they would, but maybe they didn't have the time since they were just kind of just put out at the same production cycle. So, um, let's see. Do you have anything more to say about Octopussy? Yeah, I mean, I will say I have a note here that I did think the dynamic between Bond and Octopussy was good for a healthy chunk of the movie. I was like, oh, these two are an interesting pair because she's kind of a bad guy, but kind of not. She doesn't want to kill Bond, but maybe she does. And there's a little bit of the back and forth. Okay, this is really interesting. And then Bond... Like, she's like, he starts to get all sexy with her, and she's like, no. And he's like, I'm going to get sexy on you. And she goes, no. (laughs) And then he, like, literally forces himself into a kiss. And I wrote in my notes, I was just starting to like the octopusy dynamic when Bond went hashtag me too all over her. It was kind of gross. Did not like that. I said that was for, I was really on board until then. This is not the first time we see Bond do it. And and admittedly, it happens more with the Connery Bonds. Yeah, Moore's but, behaved relatively well so far. Yeah, but still not okay. No. Not an okay thing for Bond to do. So. No. Um, um, and the, the, only, the only other note I have is, remember when people loved the circus? Like, yeah. these people were so... Those American, I don't know what, generals, captains, whatever they were, were so excited by the circus. It was like they were watching, you know, the the greatest show ever told. It was amazing. They loved the circus, and I'm like, nobody likes the circus anymore. This is where is where uh, Pepper, Officer Pepper, should have showed up. That's he true. Showed, he would have been at the circus eating like a giant. Like, couldn't you picture him with a giant bag of buttery, greasy popcorn? He's like, oh, I love the circus, bro. He would have said something racist, boy. <laughs> yeah, something racist about. Indian people, and and then maybe an elephant would have gone rogue and just speared him right in the right in God, the chest. Would have been great with his tusk. That would have been awesome. But um, yeah, it, that would have been a perfect place for him. Uh, I don't know where the actor was at this point. If he was even still still kicking, but could have been a, an interesting place for for Pepper. By then, you know, they probably would have promoted him to sergeant. He would have been Sergeant Pepper. The audience would have that laughed. That would have been a fun that. joke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is what it been. Yeah, that's Sergeant I, Pepper now, boy. <laughs> yeah, I wish, I wish we could we could rewrite this movie, Sean. I, I think we would we would do good things with it. There's room for improvement. Oh, uh, this is a throwback to the beginning. I forgot to mention this note, but it is worth mentioning. Remember, 
remember when the clown breaks through the window of the embassy? Yes. I have many problems with that. <laughs> As you can probably imagine. We'll start with number one. How do the guards allow a clown, a man literally dressed as a clown, to get that close to the British embassy? Number two. How do the the people inside of the embassy, namely M and everybody else that's in that room, Bond, I think is in there too, right? Mm-hmm. How do they know when the clown break immediately breaks through the window and rolls the, the Fabergé egg onto the floor? How do they know it's not a bomb? M goes right over and picks it up immediately. They, But there, you would think their instinct would be like duck and cover, run into a different room. At least call hide security? under your desk or something. Call yeah. security in. No, he runs. He walks right over and picks up the Fabergé egg that's in the this this clown's hand. I guess it was a different time. Like, could you imagine in, in a Daniel Craig movie if that happened? But I think he would he would pull out his gun and shoot the clown that was on the floor, and and then like clear the room. There would be like a bomb squad. Yeah. I just can't see this happening with a modern Bond. I appreciate your eye for detail, Matt. I really do. <laughs> we are now at Bond. This is Bond movie number 12 we're talking about. 13. I've kind of had to oh, let no, 12, some. I guess because we, we didn't do we Honor skipped, Yeah. Yeah. At some point, I, I got to let. It, it was the exact same thing in Moonraker where I'm like, why would you leave a fully fueled space shuttle on top of a 747 that you can just <laughs> turn on? Doesn't have a key or something. You left the keys in it. That doesn't make a lot of... At some point, you kind of just have to let these things go. I agree with you. All right. I guess suspension of disbelief. But my suspension of disbelief only goes so far when you're talking about the secret service of a country. Oh, like, no. Whoever's doing are, security at the embassy the, should be fired. They're responsible for security, not just of their country, but of, the, of their own embassy. And you would think that... You would think that something... I don't know. Number one, yeah, I just I just had a lot of problems with that with that scene. Like, do they know that it's 009? Because they 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 have to they have to look it up later on. Well, he's They're wearing like, oh, clown makeup. Shoot, that's that's 009. He was on this mission. Yeah, he was on. A, he was like undercover, and they had, but they had to they had to like find that out. They didn't just know automatically that it was him. And and the Fabergé egg is the, and that's enough to just be like a clue into the smuggling ring. Yeah. Didn't like it. Which, Thought there was a way smarter way to, to go about that. By the way, did you know that is in the shooting of the movie, that is a real Fabergé egg? Really? It is not a prop. It is uh, it, the, the Fabergé egg is real. It was made in 1897 and called the Coronation Egg. That's a pretty famous one, if I remember. That's like, that's like a museum item. Mm-hmm. Coronation egg. Wow, they used the actual coronation egg for this movie. How did they get it? How did they like come across it? Like, what did they buy it? Did somebody have it in their like house or something? Uh, it was so, so it's been sold since, but in March of 1979, the egg was sold for 2.16 million dollars along with another egg. So it's like half that. So it's a million dollar egg. Wow. Um, this is what Wikipedia says. So, and there is no source on it. So, All right. take that for what's worth. Um, Fake I did, news. I did want to quickly mention the song, the theme song of this movie. We didn't really talk about the theme songs in Moonraker for your eyes only because they were arguably forgettable. Well, one fair? of them, they were forgettable, but there was, uh, 
there was um I think it was th- it was the theme song to to Moonraker. Yeah, it was Shirley Bass. Shirley, that yeah, was her Spacey. third her third uh her third um Bond Bond theme. But it's her, it's her least favorite of the three. She was only brought in about two weeks before the movie was being released because they didn't they wanted uh, either Johnny Mathis or Frank Sinatra, um, but they couldn't get anybody, so they brought her into the last minute. Yes, I did hear Frank Sinatra was a a contender, a possibility for for this um, this intro. Uh, he was going to do like "Fly Me to the Moon" or something. Yeah, <laughs> one of his songs about being on the moon. I mean, they would have taken anything at Sinatra. Yeah, um, and then of course that would have been cool because Nancy Sinatra had done a. Uh, that's right. She had done a a previous Bond theme with uh, "You Only Live Twice." Yep. Um, and of course, "For Your Eyes Only," uh, title song by Sheena Easton, uh, the first song artist to appear on screen in the opening credits. Um, Blondie was really originally supposed to perform that song, and they actually did release that song on their 1982 album, "The Hunter." Mm-hmm. So, um, which I thought was fine. Uh, but this song is interesting uh, with Octopussy, All Time High, Rita Coolidge. Um, it spent four weeks at number one on the U.S. Adult Contemporary Singles Chart and reached number 36 on the Billboard Top 100s. I thought it was a pretty good song. Yeah, it was. It's it was an all time high. <laughs> it was it was the disco. I think it was a disco. Oh. Uh, was it? Would you say it was disco? Well, it was on the it's Adult Contemporary summer. Chart. Okay. Um, but it was, this is disco bond. It was more of like a serious disco is what I would call it. A thing I just made up. Serious disco. Yeah. All right. Um, quickly before we move on, Matt, I do just want to touch on the bad guys plan, which we didn't really get too much into. Um, we have the return of general Olaf, uh, who works with Khan to smuggle a nuclear weapon out of Russia and onto a U.S. base on the other side of the uh, east-west German border. Uh, the idea is to set it off there so it cannot be traced to Russia having shot off a weapon because it they'll, the U.S. will know they didn't shoot a weapon. Uh, and the U.S. will think that one of theirs accidentally went off. That would cause Europe to remove nuclear weapons from Europe, which would then allow Russia and the Soviet Union to take over uh, the Europe as well. Uh, Matt, good plan or bad plan? Confusing plan. Okay. I mean, he's, so you get the, the missiles go to Eastern Germany, right? And then he's going to set it, he's going to set it off, but he's going to make it look like an accident. Well, yes, have- it, it won't be traced to Russia, and the only other nuclear weapons around there belong to the U.S. But but in the meantime, millions of people die. Correct. Because he set off a nuke in Central Europe. Yep. And that's going to make the U.S. think that, they, that it was theirs? Yes, and so the European leaders will say, you know, U.S., take your nuclear weapons out of here. They're not safe, because apparently they were already talking about disarmament. Um, and so they're going to pull through on it and re- remove the nuclear weapons, which would open the path for uh, the Soviet Union to come in with no nuclear defenses. In they would, the, so they would come into irradiated nuclear central Europe. Well, just that one part. But yes. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 a Bond villain plan. It is. It's a Bond ass villain ass plan. 
Uh, I think it's it, it's it's more original than some plans. Like at least he's, they're not trying to get control of all of one resource, or they're not hijacking space ships because that seems to be a fairly common villain plan. They're not holding things for ransom. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, this reminds me a lot of um, Goldeneye. Okay. Um, well, you'll see in the, in the, in the future Bond movie it has to do with like empowering the Soviet Union and like making the Soviet Union a, like a world player again. I guess you're kind of, you're kind of seeing like, this is like post post uh, Afghan intervention, Soviet mm-hmm. Union. This is like when they're, when they're, it's generally like they're, they're starting to spiral out of control and, and they're, they're starting to decline. The perestroika and everything is coming in. So this is, makes sense for the times. It makes sense. It's like, this is, this is this crazy rogue general's last ditch effort to put the Soviet union back on the world stage, back in center stage. So, I mean, what does India have to do with this and the Fabergé eggs? Because the, how does that tie in? I forgot. It's something about smuggling the eggs. The codes are in the eggs or something. No, he, no, it's not. You could sell the eggs. No, to it's a dealer. No, because remember they also have the case full of other non-egg jewelry, and I think that yeah. was the payment for the bomb. I don't know. I got lost. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Is that it, the, the 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 plot go? It goes in so many different directions. The, mm. the villain scheme, and that's part of part of what makes this movie not the greatest. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. I agree. Uh, not a great one. Bond gets to ride an elephant, though. He does. He yep. does. Through the jungle. That that part was pretty cool. I thought. I liked when he held on to the plane. Which was really unlikely, but they fought on the outside of the plane. That was exciting. Sure. I like the stunts. Yeah. Yeah, there's some good stunts. What I like most about these movies is the stunts. They got good good stunts. Um, Matt, uh, I would like to say we're moving on to a better film, but we're not. Um, (laughs) I looked up phoning it in in the dictionary and up came A View to Kill, (laughs) 1985's. uh, Roger Moore returns for his final film. John Glenn returns uh, in the director's chair, not his last time. Uh, we'll get to more, him more of next week. This movie, uh, on a budget of thirty million, made one hundred and fifty-two million. Uh, it also had the Bond franchise's up to that point um, most successful uh, theme song, "A View to Kill" by Duran Duran, uh, the only theme song to reach number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and earning a Golden Globe nomination for Best Song. Um, We've got Walken, Christopher Walken as Mac Zorin. We've got Grace Jones as Mayday. Tony Roberts as Stacy Sutton. Um, oh boy, Matt! <laughs> I, I wrote, I wrote my notes. Moore is setting a record for phoning it in, and then, I, and then I just wrote, "I'm so confused." <laughs> All right, we'll talk about this. Um, yeah, there, this was there was this was hot and cold. I think this was a very hot and cold movie. Um, I wrote down, first of all, talking about the music, I oh, wrote God, down, yes. yes, I know exactly what you're going to say. B 
Beach Boys in intro. <laughs> He's surfboarding to the Beach Dur- Boys. Duran Duran in intro. And I wrote down right underneath that. Sean is totally going to love this movie. Oh, no. You're and it turns oof. out I was wrong. You were way wrong. No, I actually, was way off the mark. To be honest, and you want to know what the... I'm actually a big Duran Duran fan. I know this song well. I had no idea it was from a Bond movie. <laughs> I just really like the song. So I'm on board with the song. Yeah. As soon as the... I literally wrote, when did this become Bond Extreme? And then I just wrote Beach Boys, question mark? Um, as soon as the Beach Boys started, I'm like, this movie's going to suck. Like that... Was, I was like, that's a step too far. This is... Camp, it's campy Bond. It's... But not Good camp. I don't even know. I don't even. Yeah, I was gonna say. At least Octopussy had camp. moments. Yeah, th- this. The beach, but why? I, that's I. Yeah, I, I like. He's. It's fine without it. Like and you don't need to make play it for yucks. I, like, I couldn't remember any other Bond movie using a non-original song outside of the theme. Like using another song in the movie, like that. They've never really done that. No. Which, it stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah, it, it was it was a lot like the Tarzan scream, but it went on for longer. Oh, it was bizarre. Which made it more painful. And of course, Moore is looking so old in this movie. Yes. And you're like, he's not skiing slash snowboarding. He Come looks on. really dated, which, may, yeah, which makes it all the less believable that any of those scenes are actually happening. He looks really old in this one. Yeah, this is this was he was he was past his prime. Not as bad as as Connery no. at the end of his tenure, Agreed. but he's still looking. He's looking a little ripe. Um, of course, then you also have Money Penny, who is looking, I think, equally right. <laughs> I think I wrote down Bond and Money Penny look like a, an old couple in a retirement home. Yes, <laughs> yes. Their interactions are just at this point, just like. It's they they they've held on for too long. Well, and it's her last movie as well. It is right. Um, the the saving grace for me, the only saving, the, what I really liked about this movie was the villains, especially Christopher Walken, who I totally forgot was a Bond villain in this movie. I, I guess I that never says something. I I just never I never connected the two, but now that I see it. It's so it's there's it's so memorable and it's I think it's so perfect a role for him. I thought he did a great job as as, as I thought the whole time I was like as soon as I figured out that was Christopher Walken I was like I'm just gonna see Christopher Walken as a Bond villain instead of just the Bond villain for who he is. But it, but it, I didn't I saw um I saw the the villain. What is the villain's name in this one? Uh, Zorin. Zorin, yeah, I saw Zorin. I thought he was a really good villain. I thought he was a really good villain. I, th- I thought he was like maniacal and uh, vicious in in like a in like an un- an unfettered way that that very few Bond villains have been up until this point. Like th- he was just a crazy, crazy murderer basically with zero remorse. Um, but he had a highly sophisticated plan. Which was just Goldfinger's plan, but if you realize, it's uh, if you noticed, it's Goldfinger's plan, but instead of gold, it's with microchips. Mm. He wants to buy up all the microchips, or or he wants to he wants to get all the microchips in the world, so that he can he can I guess 
hedge the market on microchips? Uh, I don't know. Um, there, there's some good moments here where Bond, Bond is sifting through documents and like doing like detective work. Uh, not the most thrilling or exciting moments, but it's it's like it's good spy stuff. I thought yeah, it's uh, hot and cold. Uh, it's yeah, a hot and cold movie for me. It's like kind of cold. There's really very little warm in it for me, and I have to be honest. I'm gonna like when you put something in a microwave and like only the top part is hot. No, it's like when you put something in a microwave and then you realize your microwave isn't plugged in. <laughs> oh, okay. like it's warmed up slightly, but that's just from being at room temperature. Um, I am going to disagree with you. I don't think any of the actors were well used in this film, including Christopher Walken and Grace Jones. I, you got to remember right, Grace Jones. Yeah. Who doesn't say, who says almost nothing the whole movie. Yeah. Th- she just she kind of stands had, there and looks menacing. She should have had more speaking roles, but I still thought she was a strong villain slash hero at the but end. She didn't even Jaws had more personality than she did. And Jaws never spoke, except for the very last. I scene. disagree. I think she had. I think she had equal personality as Jaws. Yeah. It, she didn't. She wasn't. She wasn't played for yucks like Jaws was in the second movie. Don't but even... she was menacing. She was basically the the odd job villain, but but it was like a different perspective because it was a famous actress and it was it was a female. But so that's it was what I'm saying. If you have a famous, I wanted her to be more like Knickknack. A character who talks, who has a personality, who's integral to the plot. That's what I would have liked more out of this. She kind of did have a personality. Like, her personality was that she was a badass and she was vicious. And you knew, like, she could probably kill you with, like, her yeah, bare hands. Yeah, but Zorn hand, was the same way. Which was cool. Zorn, yeah, Zorn was, was yeah, They, I thought I thought they complemented each other in they a didn't good add, way. They but made you know, a good when, when I look at Scaramanga and Knickknack, I'm like, those are two different people who really have distinct personalities. And I'm like, okay, I get it. For these two, I just thought, and then when you get to Max Zorn, Christopher, you gotta remember, at this point, Christopher Walken is an Academy Award winning actor at this point in his career. And I just think he oscillates between being kind of flat and being extremely violent, which I thought was highly unusual for a Bond film. Because I realize we're getting into the, the, the mid to late 80s here, and, and I get that times are changing, but at the end of the film, when he floods the tunnel, uh, the, the, the mine, and kills all those guys, and then also starts shooting them wildly with a machine gun, I was like, this is, this is genuinely unpleasant. Yeah, that, well, that's, it, was, it was extremely uncomfortable. He, he's jarred. a little too yeah. evil for a Bond villain. Like, where's the, I get that not every Bond villain is outright fun, but at least there's a fun element. Even if you talk about someone like Drax, who we were talking about earlier, he was fun because he was so grandiose. I'm a new god. Like, every Bond villain has some element. He had absolutely nothing unique or interesting other than this dude's psycho. And I thought that was a miss for me. I, I like the psycho aspect, though. I, I think I, if he was, was kind of almost like almost like Joker-esque, where he just wanted to watch it burn, but, but he, he also had a plan. To, he, he needed a, to be more extreme too. then. If you're going to be Joker, be goddamn Joker. Be extreme about it. I thought he was too mild in his performance, to be honest. But his, I mean, his whole thing wasn't like manipulating chaos and like stirring chaos like 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 some other later Bond villains are are about. His thing was, he I've got a plan, but I'm also ruthless and... I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to be like those other guys. I'm going to stop at nothing to accomplish my plan. I, 
by just, like murdering people like brutally. I just even feel like his own people. He would be better in a different movie. I just it's not a Bond villain. He's a good villain. He's not a good Bond villain. That you know we'll we'll disagree on this one. But yeah, this this um. This I I thought I liked uh, anyway I liked Christopher Walken's portrayal of him I thought he did a good he did a good job sure. with it, it wasn't a bad performance I agree with you there no yeah um I even wrote on the bottom mostly a forgettable Bond movie except oh, yeah. for the villains which I did I liked I liked Mayday and I liked uh, Zorin but um I, yeah this this one this was this was mostly a miss. Mostly because a lot of the, it was a lot. It was a lot of things that we had seen before. It was a lot of recycled, oh, rehashed sure. things. Um, but I didn't even. <laughs> there wasn't even exciting action in this one. No, I, I was just thinking of the plot. The plot, Yeah, there really wasn't. There wasn't a lot of action. It was. A mo- it was mostly like snooping and there was there was thing the- and espionage and. But not not really exciting espionage. It's like Bond going through documents. Uh, I I wrote in my notes. Documents. I wrote in my notes that horse race should have been more exciting than it actually was. There's a moment where they're like trying to he throws up obstacles. Yeah, to try and to it was like Bond. boring. It's like why don't you just shoot him again? I, I think to me, I did write in my notes. I did like the elevator scene in the city hall when it's on fire and they're trying to escape. I did think that was tense with the cable on the elevator breaking and them trying to escape the burning building. I did think that was kind of exciting. So I give it was intense. I give him credit for that. But I think overall, although I also wrote pretty irresponsible of Bond to steal a fire truck from the scene of an active fire. <laughs> I mean, come on. This tells you where my mind's at. But I'm like, they yeah. probably need that. The building is on <laughs> no fire. Bond. Bond, put that back. You know, steal like a cop car or something. But, you know, that's put an important that one. Yeah. Or just to, like a, get in a pedestrian's car and be like, excuse me, I need this. No, but you take the biggest vehicle there. The, the most important one. Good that, job. That, yeah. And that's Bond for you. Um, Yeah, there really isn't much I have to say about this one either. Uh, I thought that Mayday die, Mayday's death with the Bond. That was great. My, the mine cart. It was it was a good like sacrifice, but she didn't have time to jump off or run away at any point. Well, that's I guess not really, because she, she had to she had to wheel the whole thing out of the mine so it wouldn't collapse, and it was noble. That was a noble sacrifice. I thought I I, I liked that right before when they have the fight when Bond fights Zorin on top of the Golden Gate Bridge when um. Like right before he lets go, like he laughs, mani- like as one last thing, even like as like as if this was a joke to him. But mm-hmm. you know, you make a good point. Um, why not? If you're gonna go that route, why not play it up like the Joker? Like you're like, why not just be the craziest villain? Like why not be over the top with it? It was a little reserved. Like he he has moments like like manic moments of of brutal craziness. But why not just be that way throughout? Or even even if you're like, I get that that he has to act classy in public situations, but I didn't see like the two faced nature. I didn't see where like in the social settings he's oh I'm a I'm an industrialist I'm a fancy guy and then he closes the door and goes fucking berserk like that's kind of I kind of and I'm like it's Christopher Walken he can do berserk and yeah and I I thought that was what their I thought that was what their goal was I thought that that was what the writers were going for with his character like this sociolite sociopath 
where he's you know at a polo game or, or a horse race or anything and he gives off like this air of like successful upper crust businessman but then yeah behind the scenes he's just a he's just a, a maniac which would be interesting for the times like the mid 80s this is like wolf or um this is like wall street american era. psycho i would have loved to have seen that. or american psycho exactly that like, would have been that, great I, that I, I i totally agree i think i think he was a little too tame if well, anything i think of that scene where he's He's kind of figured out a little bit that Bond isn't who he says he is, so he brings him into his office and says, oh, I have this uh, computer here that'll help tell me what horse is perfect for you, the horse you're looking to buy. And he sits him down, and he's on, he's typing stuff in. Oh, what kind are you, do you want it for speed or stamina? And he's putting it in. Like, if he had done that a little more, wow, okay, you know, like just a little more over the top, that scene was very flat. Yeah. Can you but do it like Christopher Walken? I cannot. That's why I didn't even try. Mr. Bond, I... Oh, this horse. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's not bad. I, I see that you want a horse for stamina, speed. You could have been in this movie. Mayday. You're, <laughs> you're, you're delivering about a strong performance. We got to kill James Bond here. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I got. But uh, yeah, um, pretty forgettable Bond movie. What did you? This is uh, also Roger Moore's last Bond movie. So. Yes, and by the way, he threatened to quit before the these last couple. He threatened to quit before Your Eyes Only. He threatened to quit before Octopussy, and he threatened to quit before this one because he was on a one year contract, a one film contract. Right. Um, and every time they kept bringing him back. They did. Um, I think they at some point they entertained having. There was an American actor who was almost James Bond. Was it? I think his last name was Macklin or something. Yeah, there were a lot of let me see if I can find there were like, a lot of names thrown around. He was on the on the verge of being he was like almost the new Bond, but then then Connery announced um never say never again. And so they felt I think it was for Octopussy. They were gonna get they were gonna try to get this this American guy to do it. But then when they when Connery was they they felt they felt almost threatened by that and, and you know I guess to maintain appearances, they they felt better about bringing Roger Moore back. Yeah, you're absolutely right. For Octopussy, they seriously considered Timothy Dalton, who obviously would go on to play Bond, but it was James Brolin, the father of Josh James Brolin. Brolin. That's who I'm thinking of. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um. So, I guess that about wraps it up for me. I I don't have much more to say about. You you got nothing to say about the blimps? There, it was pretty funny. There were a lot of blimps, aerial aerial crafts. It was pretty funny when um, they're they're flying near the Golden Gate Bridge, and it's Mayday and Christopher Walken, and or, uh, um, Zolan. What was his name? Zorin. 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 Right, Zorin, and Mayday, and they're flying close to the bridge, and then the Mayday goes, "What a view!" and then. Zorin goes to, to a, a kill. kill. <laughs> like, I was like, roll credits. I know. I was going to say, they, they both should have looked at the camera and like winked. It was so stupid. <laughs> it was so forced. <laughs> but I kind of, actually, I kind of liked it. It was yeah, much, but so I kind of liked it. Yeah. Although I did, you know what was, speaking of Zorin, I was very surprised when the very first thing you see in the movie is Zorin has no, there's a disclaimer. Zorin has no relation to any real or fake people. Did you, did you see that at the beginning of the film? 
Yeah. What was that about? Well, that was my first question. I'm like, so clearly there is a real Zoran, and there is a company called the Zoran Corporation, Z-O-R-A-N, that was founded in 1983 and makes microchips in Silicon Valley. Was this just a coincidence? I don't... Those, like, wacky coincidences? I... It it says... It has to be. Well, let me see if I can do some more research here. Um, It says... In Wikipedia, anyway, when a company with the name similar was discovered in the United States, a disclaimer was added to the film. Doesn't say when. This um, sounds like one of those just weird coincidences. I think Zorin is is a good. It's a good good name for a villain. Good villainy villainy name. And but it, it, it's just funny that they happen to be in that industry. Yeah, microchips. They, they don't exist like anymore. They've gone the since gone out of business. Yeah. Um. This but. is another another good one with another villain that's timely, like contemporary. This is around, around the age of the microchip, the sure. computer microchip. So it makes sense. It's a lot like it reminded me of Scaramanga and uh, the solar panels. Oh, the the the, the, uh, the, the Solex agitator. Solex agitator. Oh, right. Boy. Fakest sounding thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um. Yeah, it reminded me of that. Like it was, it was a villain that was playing to the times. Basically. Oh sure. Um, and this is partly why I thought in Octopussy the 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 Soviet villain was kind of out of. It seemed like he was out of out of touch a little bit because while the Cold War was still going on, it was when it was ramping down, not up, and like there was detente and there was like mad. Mad was almost a thing. It was. It was around the era when when nuclear weapons were or, or like nuclear deterrents were starting to be more popular. So yeah, I don't know. I, I thought I, it was a little more out of place. It was a little more not with the times. They they dipped into that uh, Soviet Union while a little too much around this era for my money. Yeah, because um, they did in like three or four back to back films where the Russians were at some point involved, uh, which I I thought got a little tiring, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's that's more of a vestige of the Connery bond, and and you could say maybe well, of they the they could have gone the route in the early Moors, but they didn't. They were that was where they got more exotic and more campish. But well, they got into voodoo. Yeah, the, that's right, voodoo, voodoo and kung fu. Well, that's I you know I was thinking about that today. I'm like, you know, James Bond in the series of films in the Roger Moore films has both gone to outer space. And discovered magic exists. Like, where can these movies... Is he going to, like, travel through time? Like, where are these movies going to go? Well, like, they, they don't go anywhere, because was, this was his last one. It's true. It's his last one, Matt. <laughs> Tragic. Any... any? It sounds like we're about done with this one. Any broader thoughts on Roger Moore before we, we leave him in our rearview mirror? Um, I mentioned earlier in the podcast just that seeing these movies over again gave me a new appreciation for Moore as a James Bond uh, actor. Uh, to me, he was, he was pretty low on my scale, uh, in terms of bond actors, just because of the campiness and the over the top jokes and things like that. But watching these again, made me appreciate him more. And his two strongest features for me were, um, spy who loved me and a view to a kill, which were, oh no, I'm sorry. Spy who loved me and four Four eyes only, um, which, were similar. I think they, they had many notes in common and these were the return to form movies. Um, 
I don't know why that is. I, maybe I just enjoy the more spy aspects of the Bond films rather than the the exotic Bond. Although I I I did I do still like Live and Let Die and uh, where that movie goes, but for different for different reasons. Sure. Um, but for me, the, the strongest films were the return to form, the ones that were more in line with the early Connery uh, movies. But you, I, but you like the more spy focused Connery films, too. Exactly. You know, right. you, I, was, you, I was just going to say that, yeah, Diamonds Are Forever to me was the weakest Connery. Um, also, You Only Live Twice wasn't, yeah, wasn't a um, particularly strong film either. I, I much prefer the Dr. No Thunderball, the love Thunderball spy spy ass spy movies, um, but I guess that's just my that's my own interpretation of Bond, and it it, it goes to show the diversity that that a that a viewer can like the diverse experience a viewer can have when watching these films. So, um, I I I really really can't say enough how much I enjoyed For Your Eyes Only, um. And and the subverting expectations and the the things that they do in that movie, I, I love it. I loved it a lot more this time than I think I did originally. And that's that's another good thing is coming back and watching these old films and getting new things out of them. What do you think, Sean? What was your takeaway from the Moore films? I agree. You know, I know I liked Moonraker more than you did. For me, The Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker, For Your Eyes Only is an amazing triple header. I think to have those three back to back for me... And the fact that you can do both a serious kind of spy-focused film and a goofy go-to-space film, and I can enjoy both of them with the same actor, is pretty incredible. I think more, you know, I obviously haven't seen all the Bonds. I'm not going to start ranking them because I don't think that's fair. But I think Roger Moore specifically is a... So I came into this... It's the same way I came into not having seen Star Wars, where I've heard people talk about these movies a lot. I've heard a lot of opinions about these movies. And Roger Moore always got a lot of crap, at least from the people I heard from. And I don't really think that's fair. I think Roger Moore, he's, just like Connery, has good movies and bad movies. But I think his good movies are really good. And I think he goes on for a stretch where he can really, really run the role well. So, I, of these seven movies... Maybe A View to the Kill is the, is the only one I'll genuinely say I really didn't like. Even Octopussy, there were moments I really liked. Man with the Golden Gun, there were moments. Live and Let Die was at least interesting. Um, but the vast majority of these I really did enjoy, and I think that was great. And I'll, I will double down on what you said. I was thinking about this. You get, Matt, a lifetime supply of props for picking James Bond as a topic. Because it's so exciting and fascinating to me that we have... 50 years of James Bond films to go through with different directors, different actors, different writers. The only thing that stays is the name James Bond. And to me, that's really exciting because you get to see these change over the years. And I wrote in some of my notes, I think it was on um, maybe uh, The Spy Who Loved Me. I'm not sure. I wrote, this movie is so 70s. And then by the time you get to A View to a Kill, you're like, this movie's so 80s, right? And I'm like, that's cool. And you can see the change over time. And in the styles of movies and what they present. And to me, it's really, really fascinating. And I've been greatly, we're halfway through. I've really been enjoying this series so far. I'm very excited um, for uh, the rest of our episodes. So great yeah. so far. Roger Moore, uh, uh, glad we did it. I thought he yeah. was, was very interesting. A bond for every season, as they say. I mean, there are a lot, again, Matt, there are a mm -hmm. lot of these damn movies. 
There are. It's and, kind and of crazy. Span, they do span a long time. 50 years. 50 years of Bond. Um, yeah, it's like every decade kind of has their iconic Bond. Everybody has their favorite Bond. 50? No, it's way over cool. 50. Well, the first one was 62. In... So that would be in 2022. So in three years, it'll be 60 years. Right. Wow. Okay. So 60 years of Bond. I was thinking, I was getting confused because Bond 25, the next movie is the 25th movie. Hmm. Um, oh, okay. I, I'm, I'm thinking, are, are, is this decade, this past decade, the 2010s, is that. Will 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 that be the first decade since Bond came out that we can say like we didn't there was no Bond of that decade? There were two Bonds in that decade. Well, when I think of well, when I think of Daniel Craig, to me he's the two thousands Bond, not the twenty tens Bond. It's hard. You know what I say? Well, but like, Die Another Day was oh two, and The World Is Not Enough was even ninety nine. So Pierce Brosnan did go late, did go into the 90s. decade. He did go to 2002, and then it wasn't. Then we went four well, years. Well, to me, I guess the the boxes I put them in is like Connery was the 60s Bond, Moore was the 70s Bond, Dalton, and I know these dates aren't 100 percent sure. spot on because there, there's definitely some overlap. But Dalton was the 80s Bond, Brosnan the 90s Bond, and Craig. That would make Craig the 2000s Bond. But then there, what about the 2010 Bond? You know what I'm saying? Like. No, I'm with you, but technically, I mean, Roger, there, I guess it's because of the overlap. There are there is over, significant overlap. So we're we're basically what I'm saying is we're due for a new bond. Oh, we definitely are. And mm -hmm. these days, I mean, Brosnan went for four, Craig went for four. I don't think you'll see another guy go for seven movies. Give Roger Moore credit. Yeah, um, absolutely. that's hard to do. But Roger Moore spanned two decades. I mean, he started in '71, ended in '85. He went 15 years. Um, and it was only Timothy Dalton that rounded out the 80s. So, so that, I agree with yeah, you. Yeah, that's probably where it skews a little bit then. Because then Dal that would make Dalton like the early two the early 90s Bond. Would be yeah, because from, uh, from 89 was licensed to kill. Then we didn't get GoldenEye till 95. So there really was no right. early so 90s. Kind of pushing, yeah, it's kind of, it kind of pushes Brosnan almost into the 2000s range. But I think you could – I would call Daniel Craig the Bond of the new millennium is probably at least so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but Matt, I'm very excited for next week because we're going to have um, the Forgotten Bonds are going to get their yeah. own episode. We're going to backtrack a little bit, go all the way back in the time machine to 1969. Finally talk. I'm I'm considering all I know nothing about it, but all we've talked about it. I'm very excited for on Her Majesty's Secret Service with George Lazenby because um, I think we're going to have some stuff to talk about there. And then we're also going to bring in Timothy Dalton, The Living Daylights and License to Kill. Um, we're going to include those three movies before we hit Pierce Brosnan. Sean, do we want to touch on Never Say Never Again? Have you seen it? I have. Is it worth seeing? Yes, but okay. I won't tell you why. Okay. I'll just say that it is. Yeah. If you if you want me to watch it, I will watch let's talk, it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, it's a deal. Let's feature it. It's I think a deal. that would be cool. Okay. So Great. Those so now four? this is a 25 movie miniseries. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Matt. Give me yeah. more homework. It rounds out. It'll, oh, it'll all be be worth it. Okay. You know, by the time we finish this, maybe they'll come out with another one and it'll make it a 26. At the rate we're going, Matt, it would not surprise me. Yeah. Not at all. All right, Matt, that's going to do it for this one. Right. Our longest episode ever. 
but a good one. I hope everyone out there enjoyed as much as we did. The Bond Marathon continues next week. Join us as we talk about four movies, The Forgotten Bonds. Uh, it'll be a fun one. And if you haven't seen the previous series, go to our website, upfordebate.tv, and get caught up on all the episodes here we had to say about Sean Connery and the previous Roger Moore. We've done a lot of these. Colby's been on. It's been great. Um, you can also listen to other episodes there as well. And, uh, and listen to our XFL miniseries. We've had a lot of developments with the AAF, some stuff about the XFLs coming out. We're going to have to do a follow-up one of these days, Matt, uh, on that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of news. It, yeah, there has been, there's been a ton of news. We've been doing this Bond stuff, but... <laughs> the world keeps turning. Yeah, we got to get back the to XFL keeps turning. We got to get back to our roots, uh, B level football leagues. <laughs> That's right. W- our real bread and butter where we belong. Yeah. Yes. Um, but that's going to do it for this episode. We appreciate everyone out there for joining us, but we're going to end it here on behalf of Matt. I'm Sean. We'll see you next time for more bond action on another up for debate presents. This has been a Coffee and Beer production, executive produced by Matt Mariani and Sean Jennings. To learn more, visit coffeeandbeer.tv.